going to shift into our scripture reading for today. It's from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thank you so much, Emily. Yeah, you guys on the host team, you guys really are, like, super cool. So I don't know if that's a prerequisite or not, or, like, if you join the host team, you become cool. It's one or the other. Uh, it's the second one. So yeah, please join. <laughs> Uh, welcome to King's Cross. Why don't we spend uh, just a couple minutes and stand up and greet each other. Uh, just greet each other in the Lord. If, if this is your first time especially, please uh, make sure someone knows your name. All right. Beautiful. Beautiful. So wonderful seeing everybody here. Have you ever heard of the theological... Uh, what's the right word? The theological concept Already, but not yet. Raise your hand if you've heard of it. Already, but not yet. Um, we've, we say it every so often here on, at, at King's Cross. Um, and so I'm definitely, you know, heard it, familiar with it. Like, not sure if I'd be able to articulate it. I don't know if that's how you're feeling. Um, some of you guys know this, um, but I have been in this long process of applying for the Air Force Reserve Chaplaincy, the United States Air Force Chaplaincy. Um, and it's been, it's been a long process. I've been doing it for like, I don't know, like two years, I feel like. Uh, I think uh, in, in some ways because like the paperwork is like, there's so much paperwork. And then when I see that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I start dragging my feet. So there's some of that, my bad. And then at the same time, because of COVID, I think it has slowed down the process in a lot of ways. And also because the Air Force Reserves don't have a recruiting office in Korea. So I've been having to talk to, to the recruiter in the, in the United States and trying to work things out from, from over here. It's just been a really long, uh, drawn-out process. Um, and, but, you know, I did it all. I, I got all the paperwork in, did, um, wrote essays, had to get, like, certifications and, and different things, um, get, you know, my, my college transcripts. Like, I a lot of different stuff. Got through the interview. Um, and just, I think just maybe a month ago, I got an email saying that I've been approved. Um, and so, oh man, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I've been approved. It definitely, it was like, wow, it was good news. Uh, and so, in some ways, you know, in some ways, I'm like already in Air Force chaplaincy, but in so many other ways, like not yet, okay? Uh, I still need, there's still more paperwork that needs to get done. This week, I'm scheduling to do like the oath, you know, sign my life and do that thing. And, and then once I, once I submit that, you know, I'm one step closer. But even then, I still got to wait for more, just, you know, more paperwork. And so I'm, I'm getting closer. So I'm, I'm like at this point of, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm in, but not yet. I'm in, but not yet. And I'm getting closer, not yet, right? I'm, I'm sure that all of you guys can, ex like, can remember something You've experienced, you know, something like that where, you know, you know something is sure to happen and you're kind of sitting in that certainty, but it hasn't happened yet. And then sometimes that certainty starts to get shaky the longer you have to wait, right? 
Now, already but not yet, this theological concept, this, this, this biblical concept, it's something like that, uh, but a whole lot more, I would say, complex, uh, a lot more uh, just deeper, and the tension that exists in that, like the tension is that much more tense. <laughs> um, but let me just briefly, if I can say just kind of quickly, what is this concept? What, is this, what, what am I talking about? This already but not yet theological tension. Uh, it is that we are in this reality. You and I, we are living in this reality where the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus is already upon us. It has arrived already, but at the same time, not yet. Not yet in all of its fullness. Like, obviously, like we know, this world is still broken, still so, so painful in your own lives and people that you love in, in these lives. When you think about what is happening around the world in our city, like, it, there is brokenness and pain and suffering. And so then the reality is it's not yet. But when Jesus came, when he came to this earth and he lived this life, he ushered in the kingdom because what's the kingdom? It's where the king is, right? So Jesus, when he came to the earth, the kingdom was upon us. So already, but not yet. And then not yet is coming, Jesus says, I'm, I'm coming back. I will come back to restore all things. I'm coming back in glory. And at that point, we will see the fullness of God's kingdom, right? And so we're living in this tension. The biblical writers, they seem to have lived and written fully aware of this tension, of this theological framework of already but not yet. And Paul, in the passage that we read today, that, that, that Emily read today, Paul is expressing some of that tension. If you guys can, yeah, I'm seeing some of you pulling up your phones. Pull up Philippians chapter 3. We're just looking at a few verses today, verses 12 to 16. Now, Paul, in this passage that we read today, he's expressing this tension. But Paul, he's not expressing it in this kind of angsty, like, uh, agonizing kind of tension kind of way. In fact, throughout his whole letter, even though Paul is experiencing suffering and persecution, Paul actually expresses this tension as a reality that brings him great joy. Now, we've been in this series of Philippians uh, for the past several weeks, um, Philippians series, and we have titled it The, um, the Practice of Joy. Uh, and a lot of uh, scholars have called this letter Paul's uh, song of joy, where he just, he, he keeps hitting on this, like, be joyful, be joyful. And he, like, he says the word rejoice or joy, like, I don't, I don't remember how many times, 16 times, or something like that, in, in this short letter. You know, Charles started uh, us into chapter 3 last week, Elder Charles. Man, I loved it, I loved it. I'm looking forward to seeing him up here a whole lot more. Uh, but he opened us uh, up to chapter 3, uh, where we were called to see that knowing Christ, that knowing Christ is the greatest thing, is the greatest joy. 
Um, you know, this, this sermon series uh, has actually been, I think, one of my favorite sermon series that we've done at King's Cross. Um, it's just over and over the teaching, I've been, just, I've been challenged, I've been encouraged, and I feel like so many of these things that we've been looking at are so timely. Um, you know, just a couple weeks ago, as Pastor Simon was preaching, he was talking about the awe, restoring the awe of God, and, and, and the reason, like, so many of us, myself totally included, just we think too small of God, we think too small of His glory, you know, the, the expanse, the magnitude, the weight of his glory, like we think too small of it. And so when people are leaving the church and leaving faith, they're kind of, they're leaving a faith that's worth leaving because our view of God is, is too small. And so, man, I just, I love that word. And again, last week, uh, Elder Charles just pushing us to seek our confidence and our joy in Christ. And so today is very much a continuation of last week as we continue in chapter 3. So I want to give you an overview of what I'm going to hopefully try to do for us today. Um, you know, it's only, a few, it's only a few verses, but the first thing I want to do is I want to look at the passage again and just kind of identify just a couple words, a couple things that are repeating uh, in the passage. Uh, then we'll also, Paul talks about that, his, that, that he's uh, pressing on to a goal, pursuing a prize. And so we're going to hopefully look at what is this goal, what is Paul's prize that he is straining for. And then we'll kind of close with just a, a question for us as application. And obviously, before we end, uh, we will uh, talk about the beautiful, amazing gospel of Jesus. Okay? So, to start, we look at the passage again. So, if you, if you have your Bible open, and kill me if you can uh, have the passage up here. Awesome, thank you. It starts off, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this. Or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. So I want to first identify, what is this? What is he talking about? This. Not that I have already obtained this, but I press on to make it my own. What is Paul talking about? And we can see uh, pretty easily, if we, if we look back in just the, the previous verses, Paul has, has just been, he's been going on and on and on, on, and on about the, the, the worth of Jesus, the worth of Christ. And so we know that Paul is talking about Knowing Jesus. Can you say that? Knowing Jesus. Yeah. Knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. So that's one thing. Knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Sharing in his sufferings. As Paul is talking about knowing Jesus, it's inseparable from the suffering of Jesus. You can't know Jesus in his glory without knowing Jesus in his suffering. So Paul is saying, not that I've already obtained this. So what is this? knowing Jesus and the power of his, of, of, of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that sufferings becoming like him in his death, and finally attaining the resurrection from the dead. So these are, these are things that Paul's talking about. So he's saying, not that I've already attained this. I'm not saying that I'm perfect in these things. I'm, I'm not there yet, but... I press on to make it my own. These things collectively, this knowing Christ, I press on to make it my own. Why? Why does he do it? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Amen. Amen. 
And so this is what Paul is talking about in this, in this, uh, this short uh, you know, section that we're looking at today. He's like, I'm, I, I don't have it yet. I'm not actually worried. And I, this is what I feel like. Paul's saying, you know what? I'm not worried about whether I've got it to the full, whether I have it, whether I possess it, whether I'm perfect or not. That's not, that's not the thing that I'm worried about, but I'm, but I'm pressing on. I'm pressing forward. Because, why? Because, again, Jesus has made me his own. He's motivated. He's empowered because he knows that Jesus is holding him. What's that last song that we sang just now? He will hold me fast. Yeah, man. Paul's singing that song. He will hold me. Christ has made me his own. I think a lot of times for me personally, I worry about, do I, do, am I living in it? Am I, do I fully have it? Do, do I understand it? Do, do, I, do I have it all you know, good enough down? Am I able to express my faith articulately enough? And I'm just worried about, like, do I have it enough? And I think Paul's like, man, stop worrying about that. But press on. Let's move on. Point number two. What is Paul's goal? I think definitely they're related. What is Paul's goal? What is the prize? No, definitely related. What is the prize to which that Paul is straining forward, even enduring suffering and persecution? So again, as we just said, the goal is not perfection. That was the old days, if you guys remember, for Paul. Perfection was what he was, 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 what he was aiming for. Perfection in, in the law and, in, in, you know, doing everything that the ceremonial like, said, like, these are things that you need to do. That was, his, that was his goal. That's what it used to be. But he says, man, I consider all of that, all of that is rubbish, all of that is garbage, it's trash, it's dung, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So his goal is not perfection. The prize is nothing less than the realization of his lifelong passion, which is the full knowing of Christ. Everything else, everything else is not only is it loss, not only is it garbage, but here now, Paul, if you look at the next verse, he says, I just forget about it. It's not even, it's not even worth talking about. I forget about it. I press on. And so again, for Paul, all of this, it means that he's, that he's going to share, if he, if he wants to share in the power of the resurrection, it also means sharing in what? In the suffering. And so what, the reason that this is so important is so often, like, sometimes we get into this mindset, like, we want Christianity, this faith, or like if we have strong faith and we want to be like triumphalistic. Like, man, if I really believed, then I, then I wouldn't struggle with this stuff. If I really believed, then I wouldn't feel this pain. I wouldn't feel lonely. I wouldn't have these things going wrong in my life. And we have this kind of weird, like, triumphalism thing. But, man, if we know Jesus, because remember Jesus in his life, remember Jesus the night before that he was, the night that he was betrayed, we see Jesus on his face crying blood, sweating blood in agony. 
But this is the Jesus that we worship, the Jesus that is obedient even to the point of death, who defeats sin and death and the enemy through his suffering and through his death. Amen? So Christian life is not a matter just of salvation. It's not just a matter of, you know, getting into heaven. The goal of Christian life and this resurrection, uh, living a life of resurrection power is Christ himself, is knowing Christ himself. And so for Paul, this is the goal. This is the goal, you know, of the resurrection, the goal of his life, the prize for which that he is straining forward is for Christ himself. And Paul is living in this already, but not yet. Christ has made me his own, but not yet. John Piper has this book called Future Grace. And in this, uh, in this book, uh, Pastor Piper, he, he argues that, um, it's that, that faith is profoundly future-oriented. Um, and so there's kind of like this, this difference between the future grace and a past grace. Now, I think for, for all of us, I hope, man, if you know, we've been living this life whether, you know, a year, a month, a week, like if you've given your life to Jesus, I, I hope, I pray that you have these milestones in your life that you can look back to, these past graces that you can look back to and say, I know God was with me. I remember. I remember God was faithful. I remember that God, I mean, God this happened, that he moved my heart. He did this, like that we can remember these things. And it is so important. It was so important. We have to remember these things. But Pastor Piper, he argues that it's these, the thankfulness for the past things doesn't give us strength to actually continue into, like, to live life and to continue to, uh, to, to face struggle and to, and to even to battle sin. But let me clarify, because these past graces, like these things are there and they're important, but he says the, 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 the ultimate past grace was Christ, right? Jesus came to this earth. He lived this life. He died. He suffered and died on the cross for you and I, and then he was raised to life. This is so important because this is a thing that actually happened, this event that actually happened 2,000 years ago that Jesus lived this, lived this life, lived the life that we could not live, and he died the death that we deserved and was resurrected to life to glory because this past event is the guarantee that in Christ all of God's promises are guaranteed. In Christ all of, Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. And so we have this this past grace that is the foundation. And so, yes, we look back to that, and yes, we worship God for it, and that reality gives us confidence in all of God's promises into the future. And so we can have hope to live today. We can have hope to live tomorrow. We can have hope to even battle over sin and struggle 
and pain because of what happened, because of what Jesus has done, and because that is the promise that God is with us and that all of God's promises are guaranteed. Now, if you look through Scripture, and this is something that we should all do, you look through Scripture, there's so many, so many promises. I just want to just give you just a couple. John 10.10, we looked at this pretty recently. Is it recently? It feels recently. John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? But Jesus, he comes to give life. What kind of life? Life to the full, abundant life, the life that God himself lives. Psalm 1611, I love this passage. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So whenever I feel like God is holding out on me, that I wish I could be doing this, doing that with, you know, whatever, no, no, no. In God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Romans 8, Romans 8's got so many, man. Let me, let, me, let me give you a couple more. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Man, it's a guarantee. In Isaiah 41.10, this is God himself speaking. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. These are God's promises. And we know that these are guaranteed because of Jesus. So we just talked about these are Paul's goals. This is what Paul is prizing. We're kind of closing here, like I said, and with this question, what is your goal? What is your goal? What do you prize? We're all gathered here to worship, right? And I know, I know that we're coming from different, different places and, and you know, different experiences and where we are in our faith. I know, I know that. But we're all here. But another thing that, that John Piper says, and man, he, he says, hey, you can't worship what you don't prize. What is your prize? We've come here to worship, but what is your prize? You know, I feel like the temptation... Uh, among the Philippians. Um, and you try to imagine, you know, 2,000 years ago and all, all that, that, that had just happened and, and, and the promise that Jesus says that he's going to come back. And I feel like the church at Philippi, among the other churches, I'm, I imagine that they must have been getting antsy at some point. They're gathering together like, yes, 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 we believe in Jesus. Okay, yes, he's the Messiah. Yes, he's the king. And he's going to come back. He's going to come back. Awesome. He's going to come back. He's going to come back, right? He's, he's, he's going to come back, right? And day after day, he's, he's, he's going is he, is he to come back. Is he? And they start getting antsy, and they're not seeing Jesus come down like riding on the clouds. They're not seeing it happen. 
And really, the, is, did he really say he's coming back, guys? Like, what, what are we doing again? And I imagine that the temptation was to go back to life as normal, right? You're kind of waiting, 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 waiting. Nothing's happening, nothing's happening. I was like, oh, man, okay, I guess, I guess we just go back to what we were doing. And for them, you know, the Jewish people, they're a religious culture, right? And so for them, what was normal? The normal thing was like go back to the religion, go back to doing the religious things, going back to like, okay, well, if Jesus is not going to come back, then I guess I better go and do my stuff so that God is pleased with me, right? I imagine that, that was the temptation. And maybe some of those leaders like, hey, hey, just in case, we better do these things, right, church? We better do these things. And what about for us then, 2,000 years later, you know, 2,000 years later of like how many, how many churches, how many generations of, of Christians and believers? And then in our context today, like, you know, if, if, if the Jewish people were a religious culture, what about us? Like, what do we go back to? But you know what? Don't, don't, be, don't be mistaken. Uh, we may not be a formally religious culture, but we are religious <laughs> The things that we do. And that's why we talk about liturgy. Most, like recently we've been talking about habits. Habits as a liturgy. And our habits are what build our, our care. Uh, habits is what forms our hearts and forms our loves, right? And if everybody's religious and everybody's got habits and everybody's loving something. And so for us, what do we, what do we get tempted to go back to? When we start to question, oh man, maybe, maybe God isn't coming. Maybe he isn't going to come through. And we start battling doubt. What is our tendency? What do we fall into? Have you guys ever asked yourselves this question like Jesus are you really coming back Jesus are you are you really coming back are you really coming back to make all things new are you are you really coming back to restore like your creation to to wipe away every tear are you really going to come back to reign in glory and justice to reveal the fullness of your goodness? Are you really coming back? Church, as surely as he promised it, yes, he will. Jesus is coming back. He will. And again, that event on the cross is so important 2,000 years ago, historical event that happened is the guarantee, the guarantee that will not expire. 2,000 years is, is nothing. It's not going to expire. He is coming. And because he is the resurrected king and we are his people, we have this hope forever that we will be his resurrected people.
And again, that song that we sang, Christ will hold me fast. As Paul said, that he will press on, that he presses on to make Jesus his own because Christ has made him his own because Christ has made us his own. Amen. We're going to move into communion. You know, in communion, we are invited to his feast. We are invited to his table. And the bread and the wine, it represents the reality, that guarantee that Jesus gave his body, that he poured out his blood as a guarantee for the forgiveness of sins, for the restoration of relationship with the Father, for all of God's promises. So if you would take with me the bread.